Well, as we continue our worship this morning by coming to the word of that faithful God that we just sang about, to receive his wisdom, his word from another world that works in this world. Uh, We continue as well with the mustard seed campaign that we started exactly six weeks ago today and that we will end exactly one week from today. And so I thought it might be helpful, since I know some of you have been kind of in and out, to sort of recap the journey at the beginning of this message. So we started out by talking about our vision for building that city that Matt read about when he was talking up here earlier. And we said that to do that, we want to give you an image. So we gave you the image of the tree. We said, we want you to imagine Rio Vista Community Church and Bethany Christian School as a single tree, not two trees divided by Ninth Street, but one tree, really and authentically. A tree deeply rooted in God's Word, a tree watered and illumined from above by God's Spirit, a tree that has a strong, big trunk that represents solid doctrinal, biblical, theological, academic leadership training, a tree that is connected in vital community by a vast network of branches, a tree that is canopied over by a lush, alive kind of canopy of leaves that represents our worship, and a tree, very significantly, that bears the fruit of evangelism and outreach in both word and deed ministries, and that has a fruit that contains a seed. We said, okay, with that image in mind, here's what we really believe God is calling us to be, what he's calling us to do. It's to take the tree that is Rio Bethany and to grow the tree to be as strong, as healthy, as vibrant, as powerful as we can possibly be where? Somewhere down the road where we can build a bigger church and have a bigger campus? No, right here, where we're at on the campus that we've inherited from our forefathers and from our foremothers. And for two reasons. One, so that we ourselves can be as fruitful as we can possibly be. And two, so that from that position of maximum strength and fruitfulness, we can then begin to peel off pastors and we can begin to peel off people and we can begin to peel off resources and give them the seed of the tree that is Rio and plant, hopefully, a small forest of trees in our day. That's it. So we began with that vision and then we said, all right, but that means that we need to do some things here if we're going to become that strong tree, that place of maximum strength and fruitfulness And so we began to talk about our facilities, and we said, all right, basically we need two things. We need more space, and we need to reconfigure some space, to repurpose some space, to make it better space. And we talked about the fact that, for example, we need office space. We have eight staff members between our church and school presently officing in what used to be closets, which means we're cannibalizing our storage, which we don't have much of to begin with, to put them in places. We have four offices that are used by two staff members each. It's cool, but we need more office space. We need more meeting space, more places to hold and have events, more places for our staff and for our volunteers to come and to meet. And if you've tried to schedule space in this place, man, get on the calendar a long way in advance because we're using absolutely every inch of our property, which is good, but to become the strongest tree we can be, we need more of that. We need a permanent home for our children and family ministries, which is the, most, the largest volunteer ministry that we have, and that for years now has been putting all their things in cars and driving them over to the school gym and then also loading stuff up on carts and, and pushing that over to the school gym and taking up the stage of the school gym and taking up a lot of the storage of the school gym that we can surrender back to the school as we create for Sunday mornings a space for them that's permanent here on the east side of this building, and then that space becomes meeting space, multi-purpose space for all kinds of other uses. The other six days of the week, we need a bigger playground. We've overrun it. It's awesome, but we've overrun it. We need to repurpose the south parking lot. 
Drive it, you'll get the point. And this room and that. And we need three more classrooms for our school. So we started with the vision. We said, all right, what do we need to accomplish the vision from the perspective of facilities? How do we facilitate that? And then for the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is giving examples straight out of our own history of how it is that facilities, in fact, facilitate vision. They facilitate outward-facing ministry to the city and to the world. And we looked at the founding of our church and of the purchasing of all of these properties and the building of all of these buildings. We talked about the attic. That's a more recent example last week. And we've seen how God takes things like that and uses them to do great things for his kingdom. And at least for me, the last couple of weeks, as I've walked around this property quite a bit, for the first time in all the years that I've been here, and it's a lot now at this point, I've been walking around just consciously thanking the Lord for all of these people whose names, for the most part, I didn't even know until only a few weeks ago, but who by their sacrifice purchased all of our properties, built all of our buildings. They bought my seat and yours, and they used it for the gospel in their day and every day since, and we're using it today. Facilities facilitate ministry. That was the idea. So that's where we've been. And here's what I want to do today. Since today is the last Sunday before Pledge Sunday. And since next week, we're hoping that you'll be here and have been able to thoughtfully put together a plan to contribute to the Mustard Seed Campaign, a three-year contribution above and beyond and separate from your tithe and regular giving to the church, just to make that clear. Since that's the deal... What I thought we'd do today is to look at what the Bible says generally about money and possessions and stewardship and generosity so that as we enter into this week of prayerful contemplation and seek to put together a plan with our husband or wife or certainly with our God looking toward next week, we have some principles to guide us. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you three big ideas. And the first one is this. The first thing that the Bible says about your money and possessions is that they are not yours. And if it makes you feel any better, mine are not mine either. It is the universal report of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New, and I'll give you examples from both. So David, in the Old Testament, Psalm 24, verse 1, says this, just follow it. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. So what is he saying? He's saying everything and everyone belong to God. And if you just think about it for a moment... That's necessarily the case. Why? Because God created everything and everyone, and at no time since then has he given away the deed or the title to anything or to anyone. Now, he does take some small, tiny fraction of what is his, and he entrusts it to us in this little tiny thing called our lives, and then we leave it all behind because we've never really owned it. But that's a trust. It's not a deed. It's not a title. God owns it all. Listen to what Paul says in the New Testament in Colossians 1.16. He says, for by him, and here he's talking about Jesus. So what he's saying is, by Jesus, how many things were created? All things were created, but then he just keeps going to make the point. Like, just in case we didn't get the idea that Jesus created all things, he continues, and he tells us that all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, again, he says, all things were created through him and for what purpose, for what reason, to what end? For him, which by definition then means not for me and not for you. And just like how when, you know, you take your wealth and you give it to a money manager, an investment kind of a person, you then expect that money manager to manage your wealth in such a way that is consistent with your purposes, you know, to advance your causes, to help your kingdom. I think it's the same thing with God. 
You know, he gives us all that we have and, and he expects us to do the same. And just like you don't mind if your money manager makes some money off of managing your money, I mean, that's the deal. The guy's got to live. You understand that. That's accepted and it's fine and it's good. So it is with the Lord. He blesses us. Enjoy the blessings that he gives to you. He expects you to eat and to live and to do all of these things, but it's, it's different than, let's say, for example, if your money manager took everything that you've entrusted to him and then used them solely to advance his purposes, then he'd get to meet your lawyer, wouldn't he? Not cool. Okay, so the first thing that the Bible says about our money and possessions is uh, they don't belong to us. And here's what you want to say, so I'm just going to say it. You want to say, yeah, but they feel like they belong to me. And here's why they feel like they belong to me. Because I've worked so darn hard to get them. Got it. All right, but let's work it through. I want you to listen to what Moses says in the Old Testament to the people of Israel who are about to enter into the land of Canaan. And they are going to get the land of Canaan as a possession. But how? Do they work and work and work and save and save and save and then parcel by parcel by parcel by parcel they purchase it all up until aggregately they have the whole of the land? I mean, that would have been a lot of work. That would have been a big deal, would it not? They would have had a lot of ownership in that, it seems. No, they do something riskier and crazier than that. These people who had been enslaved for 430 years, a subjugated people, not a warring people, not a people with an army, who then wander around in the desert for another 40 No proven generals, no great military icons. Who in the world is training their army? Seriously. These folks, to get this land in faith in God, suited up for battle. And I'm not talking about shooting people from 100 yards away. That's traumatic enough. I mean hand-to-hand combat. Swords, spears, knives, shields, and in faith that God would back them up, they went into that land and city by city, people group by people group, they took on everybody there and drove them out militarily. They didn't just have sweat in the game, they had blood in the game, lives in the game. I mean, you want to talk about folks who could feel ownership. And yet, what does Moses say? He warns them. It's a warning. He says, beware, lest you say in your heart, the idea being once you gain all these cities and all these farms and all these fields and all these crops, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And then he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And that's true for us too. And I say that because, you know, it just gets simple when you start asking these questions like who created me and gave me life. I can't claim that. Uh, okay, all right, let's, let's just continue. How about intellect? How about abilities? How about talents? How about personality? How about energy? How about drive? How about determination? How about all of these things that not a one of us can take credit for? I mean, we may be able to take a little bit of credit for helping develop those gifts, but my goodness, it's all from the Lord, who incidentally numbers out my everyday and yours. I don't know how many I'm going to get, neither do you, but every one of them has been numbered out to me and been numbered out to you as a gift from God, everything that we have amassed, however great or small. It's all of it from the Lord. It belongs to Him. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in the New Testament. James 1.17, he says, every good and every perfect gift, like life, like health, like intellect, like gifting, like ability, all of these things, is from above. 
It's coming down to you as the idea from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and for forever. So the first thing the Bible says about your money and possessions is, all right, they're not yours and mine aren't either. I'm talking to all of us. And then the second thing that it says more than anything else is that you're to be generous with them. You're to, you're to give them away. So then the question is, okay, well, how am I to do that? Are there parameters for that? Are there, is there advice for that? I mean, are there commandments regarding that? Yeah. So first of all, we're to give away our possessions by tithing. And just like everything else that we've looked at thus far, the Old and New Testaments speak to this. So for example, Moses writing to a group of farmers, it's a different kind of economy. It's an agricultural society. But the principles are transcendent. They apply here too. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, he says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, so it's comprehensive, is whose? It's the Lord's, which practically speaking means that it, it belongs to him, whether we give it to him or not. It's his. And more than that, here's how he feels about it. It is holy to the Lord. It's sacred to him. And then you come to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23, and you find Jesus, as you often find him doing, disputing with the Pharisees. And he's criticizing the Pharisees, but he tells them that they did get one thing right. So he comes to them and he says, listen, on the tithing issue, you guys are like major hypervigilant. <laughs> he talks about how they tithe on their mint and on their cumin. What, what is that? What, what are those things? These, these people had little spice gardens in their backyard. They would spice their food with the garden that they grew in the backyard is the idea. He's saying, you are so hypervigilant about this and you're so obedient about this that you even make sure that you tithe on your little spice garden. Good grief. Why then, he says, do you not pay attention to justice and to mercy and to faithfulness? He's pointing out a major inconsistency in their lives. But he's affirming this over here, is he not? You got this right. What about over here? So the Bible teaches tithing, but that might be an entirely new idea to you. So like, what is that? How do you do it? Four quick points. Point one, the word tithe means literally tenth. So it refers to 10% of everything that God gives to us, which means practically speaking, you can't tithe 2% because it means tenth. Now, that might be a great step toward tithing. It might be a move toward tithing giving the Lord what is sacred to him. But the word tithe means tenth. Point two, wherever it's spoken of, at least in the New Testament, it's spoken of in terms of first fruits because, again, they're an agricultural society. So what in the world does that mean? It means the first and best of all that God gives to you. These people would harvest their crops, and then the first thing they would do is take 10% of it, and they would take it from the best that they got. And they would give that to the Lord, and then they would do everything else. It first goes to the Lord as the principle. Point three, tithing is an act of worship. It is a regular, visible, tangible reminder that everything that we have comes from God, that everything that we have belongs to God, that everything that we have is to be purposed for God. It's a regular, tangible reminder of you and I taking the thing that more than anything else in this life is a tangible form of life and saying, no, 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 my life is in you. My trust is in you. My security is in you. My significance is in you. In the midst of a world that calls us to say, no, 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 my life is in this. My trust is in this. My security is in this. My significance is in this. It is good for the soul. And as a result, the Lord says, you shall do this. 
Point four. Last one. God blesses those who tithe. Listen to what the Lord says through the prophet Malachi. Famous verse and the most universally disregarded, I think, promise in the the Bible. It's a fair statement. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby, meaning by doing that, by bringing the full tithe into my storehouse, do what? Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It's the only place in the whole Bible where God comes to us and says, okay, listen, I'm going to challenge you with this and I want you to test me. Come on, do it, do it. I dare you. I double dare you, the Lord says. And see if I will not do what? Open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Like nobody reads about the windows of heaven and the pouring down of a blessing until there's no more need and goes, yeah, you know what? Keep it. No, 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 no. Shut the windows. I'm good. I'm good. No, open the window. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) The Lord blesses those who do that. And those of you who have worked your way into that position of obedience know that blessing. You know what that's like. So the Bible calls us, first of all, to be generous with our money and possessions by tithing. But then secondly, it talks about being generous beyond, separate and apart, and in addition to the tithe. It talks obviously about giving to the poor and giving to the needy and all of those different things. But there are some special instances in which it even talks about giving a free will offering is the idea for the construction of things, most notably the tabernacle in the days of Moses and the temple, which was constructed from the building materials collected during the end of David's life. So let's look at the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, we read, beginning in verse 1, that the Lord said to Moses, here we go, speak to the people of Israel that they may do what? That they may take for me. That's who it's for. That they may take for me a contribution, but from whom? Because notice the description. It's the place where we need to get, frankly. He says, from every man, here we go, whose heart moves him. That's it. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. And then he just lists all of the different things that they needed in order to construct the tabernacle. And the list is lengthy, but I'm going to read it. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, he says, that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. God cares about details. And of all its furniture, you shall make it. And so then guess what Moses did? He brought the challenge. He said, guys, I know you're already tithing, but here's the deal. We're going to take up a collection. We're going to build a tabernacle that we're going to use in our generation, and then our children are going to use in their generation, and then their children is going to, are you going to use in their generation, and generation by generation and by generation upon generation until the temple is built. And we find their response, and it's stunning in Exodus 36. Moses says that these craftsmen that God raised up and specially gifted by the Spirit, if you know the story, to construct the tabernacle and create the implements of worship and so forth, these artists, really, they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. So they had a big deal. They all came. They brought all this stuff. 
And then they, meaning the people of Israel, after that still kept bringing more. They still kept bringing Moses, what? Free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of work on the sanctuary finally came to Moses, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for the doing of the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And so Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. And so the people were, notice this, restrained. No, seriously, take it back. Go home with that. Did you not get the message? Think about that. Their attitude was, hey, well, you know, how, how much can we give? It, it was amazing. They were restrained from bringing for the material that they had already brought was sufficient to do all the work and far more. David, too, collected an offering for the building of the temple in Jerusalem at the end of his life. And, um, and he actually recorded, he records in there what he personally gave. I, I don't exactly know why that is, but... It's a stunning amount. I recognize that he was the king, but my goodness, you read it and go, holy cow. And then he records what the, the elders and the noble nobility does. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's an amazing and incredible amount. And then having collected it all, he prays a prayer that I'm going to read to you because I really think it's inspiring and instructive. It repeats so much of, of what we've talked about. In First Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 10, We read that, therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, this is inspired scripture. He says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. And then he uses language that reminds me of the end of the Lord's prayer. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does he say? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we say. I wonder if it doesn't come from this in some sense. David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from where? From you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, says David, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly to you is the point. For all of these things that we've collected For all of this stuff that we've contributed comes from where? From you and of your own have we given you. We've simply given back to you your own stuff. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all of our fathers were. Now listen to this. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. Is that not true? They're fleeting They're quick, and then we leave it all behind. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, well, it comes from your hand, and it's all your own. 
I know, my God, that you what? Test the heart. That's what call to generosity, a call to generosity does. It tests the heart. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We saw that last week. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you have pleasure in uprightness. All right, well, so then what does uprightness look like? David calls himself out. It's pretty bold. He says, in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely. And what else? Joyously to you, which really brings us to the last point. Point one, it all belongs to God. Point two, we're to be generous with it. Tithing and giving beyond the tithe. But we're to do it joyfully. So the third thing the Bible says about our money and possessions is that we should give them away joyfully. And Paul, who says this to us, and we're going to look at this in a second, I think gives us, in a sense, the clue to being able to do that. So in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he says this. He says, each one must give, but how? As he has decided is the idea. The point being prayerfully, thoughtfully, carefully, intentionally, strategically, and in advance in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because you feel guilty, not because you feel pressure, not because you don't want to let anybody down, not for any of those reasons, not even because you get really excited and maybe a little too carried away. Prayerfully, thoughtfully, strategically. Okay, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the key to being a cheerful giver, I think, is actually prayerfully laying your stuff before the Lord and sitting down with your husband or wife if you're married and saying, what is God calling us to do in this? And then making a plan for generosity and then doing that. So, as we look toward next week, that's what we want you to do. It's to sit down with your husband or wife. If you haven't already done this or if you're single, just, you know, sit down and prayerfully before the Lord, put yourself and all of His stuff You're just giving him what belongs to him anyway before him and literally work it through to see, okay, what is our plan for tithing or for getting to the tithe? Because that's where a lot of us are. We've got to move that direction. And then what is our plan if we're able beyond that, separate from that, to be able to contribute toward this mustard seed campaign over the course of the next three years? How can we do that? Lord, what is our part in that? so that we can get the facilities necessary to facilitate the vision. And then here's the deal. Next Sunday, it's fun day. We just come joyfully, already having a plan in hand, prepared to pledge and to give. And we come and talk about who we are in Christ, where we're at in the journey right now, where we're going, who we will be with, and what our mission is in terms of the little tiny window that we've got in this life. And then we joyously do it. Okay? So work that through this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that above all things, um, we are the children of a generous God. Of a Lord who looked upon an undeserving people and who in Christ impoverished himself that we might be made rich through faith in him. He gave everything away that we might have everything as His sons and as His daughters. And Lord, You have gifted us, You have given to us, spiritually, materially, and in every other way. Lord, I pray for wisdom 
And I pray for faith. And we praise you for all of your goodness. Thank you, Lord, we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.